This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The Taliban's takeover of Kabul was swift, but there is no love lost between the Taliban and ISIS-K. ISIS-K hates the Taliban and claimed responsibility for a deadly attack in Kabul after the U.S. began its withdrawal from Afghanistan. Cato's Sahar Khan describes how ISIS-K is gaining traction in Afghanistan. First of all, these attacks on Kabul, uh, in particular the one at the airport of a single suicide bomber killed as of this recording, just under 200 people. What is your big takeaway from that? Well, I think it was an absolutely tragic day in Kabul, which has been experiencing many tragic days. You know, this was done um, at a time when there are hundreds of people waiting in line with their families and loved ones trying to leave Afghanistan because the Taliban have taken over. And it is absolutely atrocious that the suicide bomb took place. But I think what it really highlights is the instability of the situation and how Afghanistan basically is in the middle of the of a civil war. Now, this particular attack is also really interesting and kind of harrowing because it was done by a suicide bomber that belongs to a group called Islamic State Khorasan, which is an affiliate of the Islamic State that operates in Iraq and Syria. Now, Daesh or Islamic State, as as as, as it's called, um, is a much larger group, and its ideology basically is to create a caliphate in which Afghanistan will be part of a caliphate and where all Muslims um, ideally would, would obey them. And this is sort of their larger ideology. And Islamic State Khorasan is a smaller group that has the same ideology. They actually hate the Taliban and they think of the Taliban as a group that is not adhering to jihad, that has basically catered to Western interests. And so they've been targeting the Taliban since 2015. Now, in 2015, they were weak, but they were very well known for targeting civilians and Afghan National Security Forces and basically staging really brutal suicide bombings like the one we saw in Kabul yesterday. But then they, you know, there was a counterinsurgency campaign, they weakened. But last year, they elected an emir or a leader. And this leader is the one who's basically taken urban warfare to a whole different level. And so he's the one who's basically been in charge of doing even more attacks. And so the, all the attacks that we've heard about in Afghanistan the past year has mainly been have mainly been done by Islamic State Khorasan. And so, um, you know, this group is, is gaining in, in traction, it's gaining in power by doing these kinds of brutal attacks. And I, unfortunately, I suspect that we're going to see more of these kinds of attacks as the days go by. Deaths in Afghanistan caused by terrorism have been way up since 2016. Yes, absolutely. They have been. I'm not sure of the percentage because it's very hard to get an actual number, an actual percentage. But um, I will say that just looking at what happened yesterday, you know, less than 200 civilians have died. Um, some of them were um, 13 service members of, of U.S. forces. And so the death toll has been increasing exponentially. And this is why Afghans are going to the airport trying to leave, because they think that the situation on the ground has become even more insecure. And to be very clear, you, you said that, that this group does not like the Taliban because they view them as catering to Western interests. And given how the Taliban and the United States have worked together, in a sense, to quicken or at least make as smooth as possible the U.S. departure from Afghanistan, maybe they have a point. You know, that is interesting. I mean, I think they might have a point. But what's really important to think about when we think about militant groups is 
that there's a spectrum that operates in Afghanistan. And, you know, the Taliban are sort of, you know, at the end of the spectrum or, or not really at the end of the spectrum, but they're at one end of the spectrum. And whereas ISIS is sort of the worst, right? And then ISIS Khorasan is kind of near them. So in the spectrum of militancy and ideologically driven um, violence, the Taliban are somewhat better to deal with. So with respect to U.S. interests in the region, uh, it, the Taliban is worried about this group. Uh, they would like to maintain control of uh, Afghanistan. As our colleague Mustafa Akiol has said that the Taliban wants to create or has created an emirate, which is very different from a caliphate. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, the Taliban... And this is not to, you know, apologize for them in any shape or form. They are certainly unsavory actors, you know, that we have been dealing with for the past, you know, two decades at least. But the Taliban are very focused on Afghanistan and they want to stay within the borders of Afghanistan. They don't want to take their ideology, take their way of governing, their interpretation of Islam anywhere else, right? They want to stay within Afghanistan. Whereas ISIS and, of course, its affiliates like Islamic State Khorasan, want to develop a larger caliphate, right? So they want to go beyond sort of borders that they view are sort of Western um, borders and Western boundaries that they don't agree with. What was your takeaway from uh, Joe Biden's speech? Uh, we're recording this on a Friday. What uh, his speech was on a Thursday. What was your takeaway? It makes perfect sense that President Biden wanted to address the nation, especially because 13 U.S. service members had died, but also because of just the number of Afghan civilians that have died because of the attack and because of the nature of the attack, which is a suicide bombing. So it makes perfect sense that he would want to address the nation about that. But what really worried me about his speech was the rhetoric that he used. He basically said that we're going to go after them. We're going to hunt them down. This reminded me of the words that President George W. Bush said after the 9-11 attacks. And the thing I think that we have to keep in mind is, is are we really ending the war in Afghanistan or are we going to just restart a new chapter? Now, President Biden has promised us, the American people, that he is ending the war, that he's not going to pass this war on to the next president, whoever that may be, Republican or Democrat. If that is his promise, then the rhetoric that he used on Thursday makes me think that he's not going to abide by that promise. What I think the U.S. should do, and which is something that President Biden also emphasized, is that evacuations will continue to be done and that the withdrawal will continue to take place. Um, I think it's very important to understand that you can condemn a terrorist attack like the one that happened in Kabul without using the rhetoric of revenge. Because when you start using the rhetoric of revenge, this is what gets U.S foreign policy into trouble, and we end up invading and restarting wars. But if we want to end forever wars, then we just have to come up with different rhetoric. How does the swift U.S. exit from Afghanistan alter relations with neighboring countries, in particular Pakistan? So, you know, the United States has been very vocal about its withdrawal. It's not been a secret, right? So everybody has known about the dates and it's going to be happening. It's been ideally been planned for the past two years. And so other countries, regional countries, specifically Pakistan, has had time to prepare for the withdrawal. Now, of course, Pakistan has been wanting the U.S. to withdraw as well. But more than that, they've been really, I think this is sort of their moment to say, 
I told you so. For the past two decades, Pakistan has been telling U.S. generals and policymakers that, you know, you can't get rid of the Taliban. For better or for worse, the Taliban are part of the Afghan social fabric and of Afghanistan. And it is better to negotiate with them and have relations with them than to target them to try to kill them. Um, and now we're basically seeing what Pakistan has been saying for a long time. So I think in the next few weeks, we might hear Pakistan say something like, I told you so. And certainly within Pakistan, the rhetoric has been that this is a, a victory for Pakistan because Pakistan has, has known the region and has been basically saying that this is going to happen. Now, in terms of the regional dynamics, what's really interesting is how Taliban is, you know, dealing with the regional dynamics. Um, they have wanted a foreign policy for a long time. They have been building bilateral and multilateral relations with Central Asian countries, with Russia and China. And what the Taliban really want is international recognition. And so basically, they want, you know, in the past, in the 1990s, when they came to power, there were only three countries that recognized them, which was Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. Now, Taliban wants more recognition. They want recognition from Russia, from China, ideally from the U.S., perhaps from the UN, though they haven't said it. So I think what's been really interesting about the regional dynamics is looking at how the Taliban views itself and how it wants international recognition. And other countries are also responding. China has not recognized the Taliban, but they've said that they will have friendly relations. You know, if, if um, the Taliban stays within its borders and doesn't bug China about its own Muslim Uyghur population and what it's doing to them. Um, Russia has also indicated that they would be happy to have a relationship with the Taliban, but none of them have recognized them just yet. Sahar Khan is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>